Our series is called The Bible Says. And believe it or not, we only have four more weeks to go. And so we are, I'm, I'm with you. Hallelujah. It's a biblical worldview from A to Z. And we're equipping you to speak and to stand in these last days. We're building a foundation of really from A to Z. Each one of those letters represent a very important topic that have, in my mind, have been either made blurry by our culture or even by religion. And probably the one that I'm going to deal with today has been made blurry by religion as we are entering in to really the final home stretch on W, X, Y, and Z. The book, Biblical Worldview, will be a manual for the new Christian that needs foundation and even the old Christian that needs to be reminded of some of these important topics. Some years ago, a group of missionaries spent 25 years translating the New Testament into a language for a small group of Indians in the Chiapas uh, part of Mexico. The name of the group was called the Chol, C-H-O-L, the Chol Indians. 25 years translating the New Testament. Today, the Chol Church is thriving. They say there's over 12,000 believers in this tribe of people. But what's interesting was this. When the missionaries came, the Chol Indians did not know how to sing. They said when the gospel came to them, they all became known as singers. Out of nowhere, they started singing when nothing, when they never sang before. And now they're called the singing tribe, but because they had, where, where did that song come from? Here it is. It was put there. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. And then the Bible says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my steps. Here it comes. And he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear. And because of that song, they will trust in the Lord. Folks, the natural result of a supernatural work in the soul is worship and praise in the mouth. When God rescues you, you can't help but sing. You can't help but worship. That man in Psalm 40 was lifted up, set on solid ground, and started to walk, and therefore he must sing. And that song that you sang today didn't come from anything else. It didn't come, listen to me. It didn't come from a studio. It didn't come from a stage. It didn't come from sheet music. And, and it, I can tell you, it didn't come from Spotify. It came because God put a song in your heart today. And that's why I'm telling you, there are people that are standing with you now. And there are people that are listening right now and, and all over the world. And internally, you are asking this question. Here's the question you're asking. Why are these people so happy? That's what you're asking. Why? I'm going to tell you. He took us up out of the pit. He set us on firm ground. 
He set us walking a new walk. And here it comes. He put a new song in our hearts. Today is what God began to do. So that's why I want to talk to you about this, this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. That's what I want to talk to you about. So here it comes. W is worship. W is recovering worship back to the church today. So folks, if you've been rescued by God, this is a good moment to worship. If you've been on solid ground, this is a moment to worship. If you've been walking with God, this is a moment just to praise him right now and thank him for all that he's done. Hallelujah. Oh God, we thank you for what you're doing. For those that are crying out right now in Norway and Austria, in Italy and Barbados, in Trinidad, in Kenya, Sierra Leone, Lord God, Brazil, Colombia, Lord God. For those that are beginning to worship in Finland right now, we say hallelujah. You've, you've taken us from a pit. You've, you've rescued us, oh God. You've put us on solid ground and you've put a new song inside of our hearts. So God, today, as we recover worship, a word that has been made blurry by the modern day church, help us to see what the Bible says about worship today. Not what we see, what the Bible says about worship today. So God, come and help us. Come and help us. Thank you. I hear in this place new songs that have been put there. And the men and women and the young people, the next gen that have been asking the question, why are these people so happy? God, they're gonna see in just a few moments. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you, you may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. There is coming a day when all the preaching will stop, sermons will be finished. Many of you are saying amen. Prayer meetings will no longer be needed. Evangelism will be useless. And it's the day that we enter into eternity and get to be with Jesus forever. It's the day that we go to heaven. But on that day, there's something that we do right now that will continue on through eternity that will not stop and that's worship and praise. Everything that the church does will stop except that. Praising God will never stop for eternity. In fact, you that are here will join a service already in session and we will worship and praise God forever. If you are uncomfortable now with praise and worship, you're in trouble. Because you better get used to it because we'll, do it, we'll be doing it forever. But I'll explain why it happens forever. In fact, as I speak, there's a praise and worship service happening right now in heaven. In fact, it never stops. While everyone here is waiting for 12 o'clock to run down to the parking garage to make sure that you're first to get your car out of the parking garage, there is no stopping in heaven. The Bible says day and night, they never stop saying Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
The moment you are born again, the moment you are saved, you become worshipers like that tribe that's in the Chiapas Mountains of Mexico. The simplest way that I want to just, if I can define it for you today, and I'm going to ask you to allow me to use those words interchangeably for the purists, the, the, the simplest way to distinguish between worship and praise, praise and worship, is this. We praise God for what he has done, and we worship God for who he is. We praise him for what he has done, and we worship him for who he is. There is a challenge that I want to give to you today in the book of Romans chapter 6. And I call this challenge the just as and the so now. These are two words from Romans chapter 6, especially when we're dealing with this issue of praise and worship. It's the just as and the so now challenge. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking to a group of Christians, new Christians, that have become saved, that have come, that have come out of a lifestyle, that horrible pit that David was talking about. And Paul is about to give them a challenge, and this is what he says to them. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Here's the first, just as. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, come the next two words, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. What was it that the Apostle Paul was giving us, even in 2023, a challenge? All over the world, a challenge. All over the United States, a challenge. This is what he was saying. Just as you got crazy for the world and in the clubs and in the NFL college football weekend, just as you would paint something on your body and sit in the stands with some letter U on, you, on, your, on your stomach as you're sitting there trying to show off your university, he says, so now I need for you to take what you used to do out there and now begin to add that to your... Now, listen, I'm not saying paint letters J-E-S-U-S on top. I'm, I'm saying that the same exuberance, shouting the same way that you... Folks, let me help you. Listen, listen, let me just speak to you. I know you have men getting ready for an NFL weekend, excited that college football started, upset that the Yankees and the Mets are out of it and just all those things that are happening. But folks, let's just get something straight. The Here in New York, everybody's all excited going, oh my goodness, the New York Jets, we've got a brand new quarterback. Things. Let me just help you. Let me help you today. Okay, here it is. If you're sick in your body, if you need help in your life, here it comes. Listen, no offense. To any, I'm just using a name. Aaron Rodgers can't heal you. Aaron Judge is not paying your rent. I don't know why everybody's name starts with Aaron, but just listen carefully. Folks, so there's no need to give them what belongs to God. It's a shout that says, God, you have saved me. 
You have changed me. You have healed me. You have done things that nobody else can. And that's why the apostle Paul said, just as you used to do that, so now I need for you to bring your worship to a place that would give me all the glory and give me. Okay, some of you are gonna get uncomfortable today. If your worship on Monday is not the way you did it on Sunday, you may not have been worshiping. A.W. Tozer, the great Christian writer, says, go to church once a week and no one pays attention, but worship God seven days a week and you become strange to people that, because they don't understand. They thought it was relegated to Sundays. They forgot that you can worship on Monday and Tuesday. You can worship on Wednesday and Thursday. Folks, I want to get praise and worship back in all seven days. So listen, according to A.W. Tozer, I'm signing up for strange today to the world. I want my praise to come on Monday. See, worship doesn't happen when a choir, a band, or a guy gets on stage. It happens when we focus on Christ. That's why I love what the fourth century theologian Augustine said. He said, a Christian should be a hallelujah from head to foot. Folks, let me just, just help for just a moment. What is praise and worship? Let me help you. For, I want to just be as simple as I can because this is a manual for getting us back to where we need to be. What is praise and worship? Let me just help you for just a moment. Let me give it to you in sim simplicity. I know I said worship is praising God for who he is and, and, uh, to, for, for, um, and praise is thanking God for what he has done. Let me give it to you in the simplest form, what I'm learning. I think worship and praise is simply this, vocalizing compliments to God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. It's being so preoccupied with God that you have to say something about who he is and what he has done. Nothing, I, I, when Cindy and I, we try to go and, and have our time together on Friday nights. Our, our children will come to 212 and be part of Friday nights. And it's our time to go out and just be together as husband and wife. And we'll try to go to a restaurant or to just do something together. And what is interesting to me is at times, as we're talking, to glance over. And I know you're not supposed to look at other tables. But to glance over and watch a husband and a wife not saying anything to each other. Just, just looking at each other. I'm going like, something's wrong with that relationship. Because when the relationship is good, it's verbal and people are talking. And folks, when you're good with God, I'm telling you, you just want to go, God, you're good. Something is happening. God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. And what you want to be careful of doing, let me just tell you this, listen carefully to those that are in church. What you want to be careful of doing is living off cheat sheets, that the only thing you say to God is what you see on the screen. It's got to come from your heart. You can't just have a cheat sheet to sit there and just say what's on the screen. It needs to, can you imagine me waking up every morning with notes to talk to Cindy? Good morning, Cindy. It's so good to see you today. My, you're looking good. Even for this early in the morning. You are, what, what is that? 
That's a cheat sheet. It needs to come from the heart and from the soul. It's getting a praise vocabulary. Folks, just because we sang doesn't mean we worship. Just because we said the words on the screen didn't mean we prayed. See, there's no such thing, here it comes, as praising God your way. There's only God's way. And praise is declared. It's not praise until it's vocal. You, folks, listen, you, you, can't, you can't praise with a closed mouth. You can sleep, you can meditate with your mouth closed, but you can't praise him just standing there. So that's why I want you to understand, no matter how many have praised God beside you and around you, they can't praise God for you. Because you must praise God for yourself, who he is. Worship has gone awry today because we have focused on the wrong things. We have focused on a stage and watched everybody else. And the church has become comfortable just watching what is up here and has never lifted their eyes up higher to say, this is not what we worship. This is not what we praise. We've, we're thankful for the tools that music can become. But this is not our focus. Singers and choirs and songs Folks, that's why it doesn't interest me when people go, we need to do more gospel and we need to do more hymns and we need to do more, more of these. So forth. That, that, that we've got the wrong focus because God becomes our focus on these things. The great preacher from Brooklyn back in the 19th century, Henry Ward Beecher, was one of the great preachers. He was ill one Sunday, so the associate pastor walked up to the pulpit as the service began, seeing that Henry Ward Beecher, Dr. Beecher would not be speaking that day. The associate pastor literally saw dozens of people stand up heading towards the door. And the substitute preacher said, all those who came to worship Dr. Beecher this morning may now leave the church. But all those who came to worship Jesus, you may continue to worship from this point on. You're not here for me. You're not here for Ricardo. You're not here for the choir. We're here for one purpose, and that's to glorify Jesus. George Barner did a the religious pollster, says that the main reason millions of people in America from this last poll go to church every Sunday is not to worship God, but to have a pleasing experience. He goes on to say that most Americans go to church to be satisfied or please themselves when the goal has to be to honor God. That's why we're here today. Several years ago, I was reading the story just yesterday. Several years ago, it was a German zoo got ready to retire one of its faithful bears, Ziggy, and release Ziggy out into the wild. Ziggy spent 15 years walking back and forth in a 12 by four foot cage. 15 years walking 12 feet east and west for 15 years. And they said Ziggy's keepers try to coax the bear into exploring the boundaries of his new home. And this is what they said to their amazement. When Ziggy came out of the cage, he did exactly what he has done for 15 years. He walked for 12 feet back and forth and never, the bear had become a prisoner to his own conditioning. With nothing obstructing Ziggy's vision, the animal can only go 12 feet back and forth. 
Folks, I started to read this and I thought to myself, has the church gotten so used to worship on a Sunday with their 12-foot cage that we just sit there and we have forgotten the God that has no limitations, the God that has no boundaries, and we've relegated God to our little 12-foot... Listen, look at your neighbor and say, I ain't Ziggy, and I want you to understand today we're going to break those boundaries today. And folks, we're not going to... Listen... We're not going to worship like Americans. We're not going to worship like Africans. We're not going to worship like Filipinos. We are going to focus on the God that breaks every limitation today and say, God, you are worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship. Folks, I'm not going to go 12 feet back and forth because some church in America tunes the lights down and I get to hold some latte coffee as I'm watching. That's 12 feet worth. Worship. Worship says, I'll shout, I'll sing, I'll dance, I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I've come to worship God today. I'm tired already. So let's break the 12 foot barrier today. Let's worship God for who he is and what he has done. So there's two things that we have to remember as we get ready to go. I want to not go leave, but let me just give this to you. Two things I want you to remember about the song that God has put in you when he rescued you from the pit, put you on solid ground. I want to talk to you about the song that he put inside of you, that the, the source and the power of that song because I want to bring praise and worship back to what the Bible says. I'm so tired of, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I don't care anymore. I just don't care anymore. How, how could praise and worship, how could we worship God, this, the, the, the God of the universe, and all of us look the same Every church, you look at it, it's the same. It's like, let's, we, we get stuck. Look, look at the church. It's 12 foot churches that get stuck all doing the same thing. Instead of just backing off and saying, God of the universe, come and do something. God, instead of us relegating you to 18 minutes because we don't want people to be here for longer than an hour. If you're planning to come here for an hour, you're at the wrong church. I'm just telling you. So we need to bring praise and worship back to what the Bible says. So I want to do two things. I want us to recover the source of worship and then remember the weapon of worship. I want us to recover the source and remember the power and the weapon of worship. Okay, number one. So there's two points, but they're really long. Number one, recovering the source of worship. And we're going to look at Psalms 22. Get, get this down. When Jesus is not wonderful, then men will become clever. Keep that on the screen for a moment. Every leader that's watching from around the world, listen to this. When Jesus is no longer wonderful, then men will become clever. Men have to create gimmicks 
And thus the 21st century church, when, when he's not lifted up for who he is, then we've got to create all the smoke and everything else so people will be drawn to the gimmicks. Listen to the source of worship from the psalmist in Psalm 22. David says this, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. Folks, did you see that? From you. That means the church must recover who the you is in Psalm 22. We have to realize if he's this, if our praise comes from him, not from style, not from it, if it comes from you, then I've got enough ammunition to praise him. True praise has been lost because the you of Psalm 22 has been replaced with other things. We have somehow determined that the you of Psalm 22 is not big enough to keep people in awe on a Sunday service. That's why worship has gone down to 18 minutes because we've messed up the you. When you have the wrong you, you gotta sing your songs and get out. Because when you're engulfed and enraptured and inspired by God as the you, you've gotta come to a point and say, stop worshiping. We've gotta stop because we have, we have gotta get to the preaching or we've gotta get to something else. Because the you, of, if the you is wrong, we only get two songs in the church today. <laughs> People, I believe, know how to worship, they just don't know who to worship. And when you distort the who, we've messed it up. That's why I love the song that we have sang here that Ricardo has led us in that simply just says this, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about who? You. It's all about you, and he just defines it, Jesus. See, when God is the source of our praise, then we've come back to the heart of worship. Pastor Tim, why is that important? Because praise is not dependent on me, my church, my music, or my feelings. My days don't even determine my praise. My days, my days call for praise, but it's not the cause of praise. Let me explain that. Here it comes. I don't need a good day or a good song to praise God. I just need a good God. That's all I need. I don't need a good song. I don't, I don't need a good day. I just need a good God as my source to praise him. Psalm 48 verse one says this, great is the Lord. And what's the next part? Greatly to be praised, which means this, if God is great, then my praise must be great. My praise must match his character, which means who he is determines how I praise. How I feel does not determine my praise, which means his greatness dictates my worship, not my personality, not going like, well, that's just not me. That doesn't matter. If he's great, then great praise should come from me. 
You may say, I don't feel comfortable doing all that. My church denomination, my background, my cultural history um, doesn't allow me. I'm, I'm, I'm good just sitting there. Well, it's not your praise. It's not about you of what you're deciding. If, if he's great, he deserves great praise. And so it doesn't matter. You're going like, well, I come from this background or this is the way my family. It doesn't matter. That's, that's, then all of a sudden we have lifted family, ethnicity, and background and denominations higher. I come from a background that we just like to sit there with our hands. It doesn't matter. If the Bible says lift up holy hands, then we lift up holy hands. If the Bible says shout, then we shout. This is, listen, this is not a Pentecostal thing, a charismatic thing. It's a Bible thing that says shout unto the Lord, shout unto the Lord, shout. See, praise doesn't find its source in music, but in God. It's not great music, but a great God that causes me to praise him. Folks, let me just say it to you this way. There is enough of material in who God is to praise him every day and for eternity. That's why, that's why we should have to go, Ricardo, cut the music, or Kareem, stop the choir, because we've got to get on to other things. Why? Because God has so much in him that we should be so overwhelmed with who God is that we should be able to go, hey, we've got to cut it here. But if all of a sudden we're going, let's go on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, then we've messed up who, who God is. Let me give you something to praise him about today. I've got permission to share this. This was during prayer and fasting. This is an online story. An amazing story that transpired just a couple of days ago. Our office received a phone call at our reception in the early afternoon. Our receptionist reached out to one of our elders and said, we have a young man on the line who is quite disturbed from Australia. I won't use names. I'll just use the country. So I had her, this is what the elder was writing to me. I had her transfer the call to my office and the young man was quite distraught and wasn't even sure how to describe his concern. I got his name and location, and it was 4 a.m. in Australia when we began to talk. He says, I'm gonna quote the young man where possible. He was upset because he had a dream, and in the dream he saw what he describes as an angel bathed in beautiful light. A face was neither male nor female. The voice was beautiful. He has piercing eyes. And the angel was standing in a room full of light. And he said, this angel spoke to me and said, the end is near and you need to call on Jesus Christ. He said, it was beautiful, but yet terrifying for me. I got the sense that I didn't know what I was told. Something terrible was going to happen to me. I didn't know what to do, but needed to call a church. He said, I don't go to church and I know nothing about religion. The only thing I read about churches is that they're full of pedophiles. That's what he said. So I Googled, I Googled a church in my city and what came up, the first thing to come up was Times Square Church in New York City. You have to hear this. And he says, can you help me explain? And then he calls the church at four in the morning. I mean, at, at uh, four in the morning to him. He says, can you help me explain what I saw? And so our elders said, of course I can. 
He said, and he said, I started to walk this young man through the reality of angels, that God was speaking to him and who Jesus Christ is. And he said, and I started to explain the plan of salvation. And he said, I led him through the ABCs of salvation. I led him in the prayer for salvation and praise God, this young man gave his heart to Christ. He states that he had not been drinking. I don't do drugs. I've just been asleep and this was a dream. He said, I told the young man to start reading the book of John, downloaded the audible Bible where they were ta- um, as we were talking. And he states that he will join us on Sunday for a service online. He says, please pray for this young man. And then this addendum came to the story. The young man said, when I re-googled churches in my area in Australia, Times Square Church never came up again. He said it was the only time that this came. Folks, can we just take a moment and just praise God for what he has done in this young man's life? Father, we lift him up right now and we pray. You've rescued him from a horrible pit. Now you're putting him on solid ground. And now I pray, put a new song in his heart today. Let that young man begin to worship God and say, I've been rescued. I've been steadied, and now I'm walking with God. We say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. In Psalm 22, David not only gives us the source of worship, but he also gives us the test case to show us that when you have the source right, that it doesn't matter what you go through, he's still worthy of worship. Psalm 22 is how David felt at his lowest time. And it was the psalm that even Jesus quote chose to quote at his lowest moment. I, I, this is what I thought about as I was reading Psalm 22. Of the 2,400 verses in the book of Psalms, Jesus chooses this one to articulate his pain from the cross as Pastor Patrick was leading us to celebrate the communion. Of all the verses that are there, he chooses these words. Listen to it in Psalm 22, verse 1. These are David's words about what he's going through. And Jesus takes these to the cross. Talk about being in pain and having a hard day. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. And every night... I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Folks, that's desperation. That's pain. But then, here it comes. The incredible transition happens, which speaks of source. You ready for this? So think about those words. Let me read those words again, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Here it comes, verse three. Yet you are holy and you inhabit the praises of your people. Do you see what David just said? Folks, listen to this. He says, yet, that conjunction, yet you are holy. Those transitional words popped off the page for me. Because what David was doing, he was saying, this is a pronouncement of who God is, regardless of what I'm going through. He says, I can't hear you. I feel you're not even answering. But yet, 
you are holy. Yet you've not changed. See, another way to say it is this. Yet is regardless of what's going on, despite everything happening and changing around me, you are the same, you remain holy, and you are God. My changing circumstances doesn't change you. You remain the same even though my life, my world, and surroundings are changing. God never changes. We call that in theology immutability. It's a big theological word which means God doesn't change. He remains the same. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord and I do not change. Which means despite how I feel, he is still holy. He is still good. And this is what he was saying. Ricardo talked about this phrase. In fact, he even gave me the, the Hebrew of it. And David says this, if I can praise you during my difficult times, not church times, the other six days, if I can praise you, this is what he says. God goes, you, David says, you inhabit those kinds of praises. That means the praise that goes up when your life is going down is a different kind of praise that God takes notice of. All right, let me say that again because once again, this side got it and this side is still staring at me. The praise that goes up when it seems like your life is going down is a different kind of praise that God takes notice of. Listen, God says, I inhabit the praises of your people, that you inhabit the praise of your people. When you praise in those conditions, God says, not only do I show up, I forgive the vernacular, I hang out with you. That's what Ricardo was saying. That act, that Hebrew word, uh, Ricardo was giving a paraphrase when he talked about finding a cushion and sitting down. They, the actual word, he was right. It means to sit down, to recline, and even to relax. God was saying, if I, if I see you praising in your most difficult time, he says, I've got to sit down and go, something's going. They found a source that's not their day. It's not that they're having a good time. It means they found a source in me that has done something to them. When you praise in tough times, God draws close and stays long in the midst of all that. Here it comes. Get ready. I'm about, to, I'm about to trick you right now. How many are having a tough season right now? Hold up that hand. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Now do this. Here's the key. Lift up the other hand now and go, God, you inhabit the praises of your people. If I can praise you right now, God, I can thank you for what you're doing. One man says he shows up in his fullness when you praise him from your emptiness because that is when you truly have room for him to come down and inhabit the praises of his people. Folks, that's why I believe, let me just say it to you like this, that's why I believe somehow, my opinion, my opinion, 
God always recognizes the songs on earth sung by the saints more than the songs in heaven sung by angels. My opinion, my opinion. I have no scriptural proof for that, but I'm just going to tell you this. Why? Because those are different songs. The angels are singing songs based on seeing God for who he is. But when all of a sudden a saint whose body is riddled with cancer or a saint who has a migraine headache or you're sitting in service with back pain just 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 literally trying to debilitate you then the redeemed somehow lift their hands in worship and say yet you are holy yet you are good yet you are on the throne no angel can sing a song with cancer in their body there's not, a, there's not an angel in heaven that has an unsaved spouse sleeping in the bed next to them. There's not an angel with job insecurity or a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. But when you're sitting here today and go, God, I'm going through hell. I'm going through so much right now that I'm having a tough season, but I'm lifting up this other hand to say, God, you inhabit the praises of your people when they can go ahead and praise you in the condition that they in I'm telling you you found a source you found God you found a new worship you don't need all of this you just need God today hallelujah oh when we get the source of worship right then you've just been equipped not with lyrics but with fighting words so let's close with this News alert, long closing. Thank you. I reminded you of the source, now we're gonna remember the weapon of worship. Someone said when we lift our voice to worship Jesus, the devil loses his. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible says in Psalm 149, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The psalmist seems to think that the high praises is similar to a weapon. Somehow, those, the weapon, the sword, and high praises seem to be fighting material. I'm just reminding you what happens when we begin to praise him. Some years ago, it was a moment, I try never to do this, but once in a while it happens. I was in a Midwest city, but I traveled by myself. Neither Cindy nor the children nor a traveling partner from staff was with me. And I think the enemy was going to try something. I think there was a plot somehow from hell. Because after I finished preaching, this, this, this church I was at, and, I've, and I know this place and I respect it, but there was nobody with me at this moment. And I watched this lady come up and I had no help from anybody. And this lady was coming up and I, and I, and I knew something was not right. I felt it. And, and she, she came up and, and the compliments were just too much. You know what I'm talking about? It was just like, oh, that was the greatest word I've ever heard. You're amazing. You're, I, and I'm going, okay, something's going on here. And every time I backed off to listen, they came closer to me. And I'm going, and I'm looking for help. 
and realizing she just kept coming closer and closer to me. And folks, I had to believe it was from the Holy Spirit. Then it dawned on me as I was, as she had me backing up and she's just going, you're amazing. That was a credible word. My life is free. Oh, thank you for coming. I'm just going, all of a sudden it dawned on me. Talk about Cindy. And I go, oh, I wish my wife was here because she's so beautiful. She, and all of a sudden, as I started to talk about Cindy, she started to move back. I go, thank you, Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, I go, because if my wife was here, she could begin to pray with you. Because my wife is amazing. My wife is a woman of God. My wife is a prayer warrior. My wife, and all of a sudden, I watched the lady flee that building, and she, I, and I started to realize what praise and worship is. That as the enemy comes close, I start talking about Jesus. As those thoughts begin to come, God is good. God is great. He has rescued me. He has done amazing things inside of my my life, all of a sudden I realized that the high praises of God in my mouth was a double-edged sword in my hand. Hallelujah. That's why the purpose of God, the purpose of praise is that God would be glorified. The saints would be fortified and the devil would be horrified. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh. Do you understand? Because praise is a weapon, the enemy wants to make you think it's only for Sunday in a building. Praise is not a Sunday thing. That's why I think Satan's plot is to take six days of praise away and keep you singing one because praise is a weapon. Is just to go, just when you walk out of here and to think my praise is done, stand waiting for your car. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But all of a sudden, the guy goes, it's going to be 20 minutes. That gives me 20 minutes to praise him. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. You know, a pastor did something amazing to a dead church some years ago. He, was, he could not get these people to praise. So they showed up at church one Sunday, and he took a boulder and put it in the middle of the, 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 the stage. That when those hundred people came in that sat there the whole service, and he painted on there these words, if you don't, then I will. You know where they got that from? Jesus' words that said, if they keep quiet, then the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. No boulders on here. We're going to praise him today. We're going to exalt him today. No rocks in this place. We're going to pray. Do you understand? Listen. I know this is gonna, this is gonna be, this, these are gonna be fighting words, but let me just, do you understand that praiselessness, I, I just made up that word. Praiselessness is the characteristic of the unsaved. 
When you sit there in a seat, it's the characteristic of the unsaved. Listen to it. Listen to it. Romans chapter 1. Look at it on the screen. Romans chapter 1. They knew God but did not praise or thank him for being God. Instead, their thoughts were pointless and their misguided minds were plunged into darkness. Praiselessness. When you don't worry. That's the, that's the attitude. That's the character of the unsaved. When you can sit there in the presence of God and not be overwhelmed with him, then it means we've lost who the you is. We've lost the focus of him. You cannot be in his presence when he's put a new song in your heart and be silent. Remember what we said? And here's what it says. Listen. Remember the thing I said at the very beginning? And he'll put a new song inside of you. And many will see it. Fear and put their trust in God. How, how does that happen, Pastor Tim? Test case. Paul and Silas have just been beaten. In Acts 16, they're in a Philippi jail. This is Psalm 22 and Psalm 149 all lumped into Acts 16. Remember Psalm 22? You're my source. I've cried to you and you haven't heard me. All day long I groan, but yet you are holy and you inhabit the praises of your people. Psalm 149, let the high praises of God be in my mouth and a two-edged sword in my hand. And people are going to look and going, how in the world can you do that? Here it comes. Here, watch, watch this. Paul and Silas are put in prison. This is it. This is really the ending. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of what? Praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there came an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. The doors were open and everyone's chains. I'm leave that up there for a moment. Look at me for a second. Because when it's true, I love those three things. Because all of a sudden, when God shows up, here it comes. Foundations shake, doors open, and chains fall off. Don't miss that. When there's a church that worships and a church that prays, here it comes. Foundations will shake. I'm telling you that doors start to open and chains fall off. Watch this. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, the, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And this is the most amazing thing. Paul cried out and says, do yourself no harm. And here's what he says. For we are all here. Do you understand? Their singing froze them. In the, what would happen? Let me, New Yorker speaking. What would happen if Rikers Island's doors opened up we're in trouble the singing arrested the arrested they couldn't move they're going how are they singing in these conditions how can they work? And all of a sudden, Paul, because it says that first verse goes, and the prisoners were listening. And all of a sudden, they, because those prisoners were going, that was the Psalm 40. That was the Psalm 40. Many will, will see it and hear it 
and will put their trust. I believe that in Acts 16, it wasn't just a jailer that got saved and his household. I believe prisoners got saved on that day. Because when all of a sudden, when those praises went up to heaven, oh my goodness, God took notice of that. <laughs> I have to tell you, I had the privilege of speaking with one of the great Church of God in Christ pastors. I was doing a session. He was doing uh, 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 the main gathering. Bishop Charles Blake spoke. And his insight to this passage is like none other. His insight, Bishop Charles Blake said, when you start singing in these conditions, he says, that's the song heaven hears. We talked about that. The song of the ring. They have, they, have beat, they, they have the beat marks on their back. The Bible says that they were beaten with many blows, but somehow they're singing praises. And Bishop Charles Blake said, Paul and Silas were in prison. And as they began to sing, Bishop Blake goes, that song raised up into the atmosphere. And then Bishop Blake goes, it went up into the stratosphere. And he goes, that song went up into the ionosphere. I'm going, that's not even, I can't even see that. In I, He must have a different version. <laughs> and then this is what he said. He said, and when God was in heaven and listening, remember the first verse, Revelation 4, night and day, holy, holy, holy. He says, when he heard that, he told the cherubims and the seraphims, stop. I hear a song coming from Europe. I hear a song coming from Macedonia. I hear the song coming from a prison cell. And he goes, and he said, and this is what Bishop Blake, he said, he made the angels stop so he can listen to that song. And he said this, he said, God God happy in heaven. And as Paul and Silas were singing, he said, God started tapping his foot. And he said, but he forgot that the earth is his footstool. And all of a sudden, while he's tapping his foot, an earthquake started to come. Foundations were shaken. Doors started to open up. Chains started to fall off. And God began to come and work miracles. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. Jesus' longest teaching in the New Testament, the longest teaching in the New Testament on praise and worship. Listen to this, musicians, singers. Nobody was there except one person. No one had a guitar. No one had a microphone. No one had a keyboard. No one had a choir. Jesus did his longest 
worship seminar in John 4. This is what he said, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Here it comes. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him. How? Okay, look at me, folks. He speaks on worship, and no one played an instrument. This is, the, this is the verses we use in all of our worship conferences. Listen to me, worship leaders. Listen to me. Listen to me, singers. Do you know who the worship conference was for? One lady who was immoral. You know what I would have done? Let me speak on sexual purity. She slept with six men and the man she's sleeping with. And Jesus decides, let's speak on worship. Listen, worship leaders. No guitar playing there. No one was cutting their, 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 their album. It was a woman who was a Samaritan, was living an immoral life, and Jesus said, let me talk to you about worship. Let me talk to you about worship. An immoral woman with three huge hurdles. She's a Samaritan, a woman talking to a man, and she's immoral. And Jesus teaches on worship. And what Jesus was teaching her was this. If you can understand who I am, if you can understand me as the source of worship, not a place that I'm your source, that as you get ready to fight those horrible thoughts, how can God love me? How could God care for me? The whole religious community has cast me out. And it's as if Jesus was looking at her going, if you can understand the source of worship and the weapon of worship, that when those thoughts come and say, look at your past, look at what you've done, all of a sudden, there's a woman in Samaria who God rescued from a horrible pit, put her on solid ground, got her walking, and put a new song inside of her heart and says, you're going to be free, but there's going to be challenges. If you can worship, then you can face anything, a checkered past, a sketchy present, and even a troublesome future, because you're going to realize that God is love. God is great. God is faithful. And you can overcome. He was putting a new song into her like he did with those Indians. And he can put that new song inside of you today. So for the Christian, let's recover the other six days of the week. For those that are born again here, my goodness, stop with, stop with personality and worship. You're my source. And this is my weapon. And I'm going to worship him. Make us have to look at him and him and going, stop. We've got to move on. Because worship is so overwhelming to us. Because if we discover source, 18 minutes isn't enough. An hour isn't enough. A day isn't enough. 
You know when it's enough? When you get to eternity, then that's enough. But let me speak to those that may be with us today that feel I can't lift hands, I can't worship him. I want to tell you today, there is a God who loves you. There's a God that's going to rescue you from a horrible pit. There's a God that is going to take you and put your feet on solid ground. And there is a God that is going to get you walking and he is going to put a new song you haven't been able to sing because Christ is not alive inside of you. But today, he's going to come in and change you from the inside out. All over the world, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads as we get ready. As this is, this is, we're going to close with a prayer. If you're here in this place today, and Christ has never been come in, and you're here today, and you're going, I need to be rescued. I need firm foundation. I need that song that you're talking about. You know what you did today? You actually looked at this people and go, why are they so happy? Why are they clapping? Why is this? And I'm here to tell you today, that can happen to you. We're just rescued people on a firm foundation that has a new song inside of us. And if you're here today and go, Pastor Tim, I want God to rescue me today. I want my life changed. I want God to come into my life and change me. This can happen right now. God can come in and change you right now. So as we close, I want to close with a prayer. It's the prayer of a new start. Jesus called it being born again. It's the prayer that rescues from the pit, Psalm 40. Puts you on stable ground, gets you walking, and puts joy. It's a joy that the world didn't give to you, and the world can't take away. Something happens. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I need to be rescued. I need God to come in and change me. I'm not inviting you to a building. I'm not inviting you to be a member of Times Square Church. I'm not inviting you to a religion, inviting you to a relationship with God. I'm inviting you to be rescued today. And if you're here today and say, I need to be rescued. I need firm foundation. And I want that joy, that new song that you're talking about. If that's you, and just say, Pastor Tim, I want that today. Without any hesitation, if that's you, just raise your hand and say, would you pray for me? Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Quickly. Hold it up as high as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Balcony. Main floor. See you. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. This is, this is your day. I see all those hands. I see all those hands that are up. This is the day. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. Over there. All the balcony. The balcony. The balcony. All those hands. Here's what I want you to do today. As we pray for this new birth, this birthing of God inside of us, can we all pray this together? Come on, say this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. 
You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this now with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.